Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Episode 125 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. How are you? I'm back from my short clinic run. Had an absolute blast getting to meet a bunch of you guys in person. So we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about what Mike's been up to this week. And then after that, we're going to get into some education. We're going to talk about 3-4 and where to place the backbeat when you're playing in odd time signatures. Our featured artist this week is Mr. Sonny Emery. After that, we'll get into some gear and talk about the buyer 65 by 15 and 75 by 15 steel snare drum. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions. And as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. All right. Oh, a little false start. A little delayed start. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's 1021. That was a lot of smack talk. We went in. Uh, how do you feel about the neti pot? Uh, I feel that I love the concept, but I'm not ready to try it. I've never tried it. Oh, no? I, no, I love the idea of like just flushing the sinuses, but I'm like... I, I really, it's the first time I ever had any kind of fear of drowning. When I thought about the neti pot, I was like, I think I might drown. Uh, I, no, no. Well, Have you done it? You should try it. You know. All right. You convinced me. <laughs> Screw fear. I'm a man. I was raised at Jurassic Kick Park. Let's do this. I'll neti pot oh, up. Oh, man. No, it's been it's been crucial for me. Anytime I get like a little bit of a, a tinge of a cold kind of setting in, I use that sucker and it, it gets rid of it almost every time. Wow, that's it, awesome. It never gets past the point of just like a little bit of uh, stuffiness, like actual colds never set. Okay. But okay. just make well, sure that's, you that's get the need. salt ratio correct and the temperature of the water. I've I've had too hot a water once and that oh, was that oh. was weird. Man, I stopped doing it. I can't I can't <laughs> And if you have too much salt it burns. If you don't have enough salt, it's like you're in a swimming pool. Like that weird like Oh feeling. no. Yeah. But if it's perfectly okay. lukewarm, the salt uh, ratio is correct. You don't even feel it. it just goes okay. Right I'm going to trust you. <laughs> By the way, before we get too far into this, we got to give a shout out to our new theme songwriter. Not just drum beat creator, but theme songwriter, Kirk Barkley. That was uh, – that was that's my first time speaking over like a, a tune. I was really digging it. Yeah. Well, no, we did a we did a we man, did on, man the on the moon, moon once. Yeah. It, it kind of gave us like an NPR vibe. Like I yeah, feel like we, I was I was digging it. It had a loop. I mean, it was a loop. So I, I was kind of <laughs> digging it. It was uh, very cool stuff. So thank you, Kirk Barkley, for that. Uh, also, want to let you guys know we have two weeks left in the uh, podcast 
promotional thing for mikeslessons.com. So if you are interested in trying out mikeslessons.com and not needing to pay for it because you just want to try it out, uh, we're giving you guys two free weeks. And it's just a chance to try out the site and see if my style of education works for you. That's all I really want is to see if it's something where you think, man, this is valuable. I can get a lot better through this website and through the way the courses are developed. So you can just go to mikeslessons.com, sign up like normal. And then when you see the thing that asks for a promo code, enter the word podcast, all lowercase, and your first two weeks will be free. And then you can just cancel any time in those two weeks and you will not be charged a dime. That's totally worth it. You can binge on all the courses. You can become a professional drummer in, in two weeks and then just quit. <laughs> yeah, just be like, I'm out. We've had a few people that tried that and they're like, yeah, I didn't get any better. I'm like, well, just so you know, each one of those lessons took me about six months to get down when I was learning them. So maybe 14 days to professional drummer skills. Here yeah. we go. <laughs> I l- Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I looked at your account. You added 19 courses to your cart. That's that's like my entire life, okay? <laughs> Slow down. One note at a time, man. Just one note at a time. Man, uh, I drove a lot this week. I drove to Portland, Oregon from Sacramento. I didn't realize um, you were driving. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. Why? I, well, I mean, airplanes were invented, you. you know. And uh, I realized on my way back after renting a car and paying for gas in an SUV, the only advantage of, of having a car was that I had my drum set with me, my own personal drum set, which was kind of nice. It was cool to set up my own kit at every, all of these clinics. But um, I realized that it would have been actually cheaper to fly to the Oregon one for sure, uh, mm, you know, without yeah. shipping my drums. Uh, but I love long drives because I get to think of things and I get to research things and listen to, you know, deep, deep podcasts that I never would listen to and – that was really cool for the first seven hours. Seven right around hours. seven. Oh no, no, the first seven hours, bro. That's no breaks. That's if you don't have any breaks. It's about a nine-hour drive, and That's then too if you much. take breaks, it's a ten-hour drive. Yeah, right around seven, I was like, "This sucks." <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> but then, then I hit another zone. I hit another plateau, and I, I was like, "You know what? I'm going to research marketing." And I started. Uh, I, you know, if you put anything up on YouTube and I would just have it go through the USB of the car. So I was just listening, not watching. But if you put anything on YouTube, it just keeps rolling into the next video. So I just typed in online marketing and then I just let it roll for like four hours straight. And every once in a while I'd get a little nugget. I was like, okay, I kind of, I've never thought of doing that. That's a great idea. Um, But I got to say the clinics were crazy. And I sent you a picture right after my first clinic from Bentley's drum shop of my 1920s Ludwig Eight lug nickel over brass snare drum. That's right. You found one. I mean, those those I, are, you know, a couple of years ago they weren't too hard to find, but I think people are getting wise to them. So you found a nice one, bro, and it sounds so good. Did it, you keep the heads on it? I mean, how did it come? No. Okay. So yeah, it did have the heads, um, but I, I didn't because I, I want to play this drum like legitimately as one of my main snare drums. Mm. Uh, I changed out. Dana gave me. A full set of 16 new claws. So the claws are the only, or the clips are the only things that were changed out because it had, out of the 16, I think 14 were original and two were uh, completely something different. They they looked like mini bass drum claws. Okay. Uh, So they kind of had the split in them. And so he's like, okay, well, let me give you two new ones to replace those. And then he was like, ah, you're going to freak out if you have 16 rusted and or 14 <laughs> rusted and two new. And I'm like, yeah. And so he gave me all new ones. But I kept, obviously, all the rusted ones. 
But the shell is in immaculate condition, no dents, no real scratches. The throw-off works flawlessly. Like, when you turn it off, the snares are fully disengaged. Mm. And when you turn it on, they're fully engaged. Um, the shell, is the bearing edges, every, there's no dents anywhere. So what I was, I have been able to find quite a bit is I've been able to find that drum a lot in almost an unplayable state. Yeah. And even yeah. then, it's five, six hundred bucks. Yeah. You know? And then every time I'd find one that I'm like, oh, there it is. That's the one. It's flawless. It was like 1700 bucks, 1500 bucks. No, and it wasn't oh. like that five years ago. Dang it. Mm. <laughs> and I was very lucky. Dana said, look, man, you've never charged me for a clinic here. You've always been willing to help out. I will give it to you for this price. And I literally just said, here's my wife's card. Let's go. <laughs> or here's the business card. I don't know why I call it the wife's card. It's the Mike's. It's actually the Mr. Slesson's card. Did I tell you that somebody at a restaurant called me that? Oh, because it's Mike's Lessons is on the card. Yeah. Uh. And so when they brought the card back, they're like, Mr. Slesson's. And I was like, hi. <laughs> Mike Slesson's. Uh, but anyway, so I, I bought it right away. So thank you to Dana for the insane deal on that drum. And it will be one of my – he's like, I can't wait to see it on your snare wall. And I'm like, oh, you'll never see it on my snare wall. I'm going to play the hell out of this thing. So I did get that. Uh, then went to Skip's Music in Sacramento, hometown clinic, played with my band. How um, was that? Was that the first official show? Yes. And oh, it was, no. without a doubt, our first time playing through a PA system. We could not stop giggling because we've never felt bass, ever. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> and we were like, oh, my God, hit the low note again. That's insane. Uh, so we had the best time ever, and it was completely packed uh, through – the store, they had to set up TV monitors in different parts of the store so people could see us that couldn't get into the room that were watching us. Nice. Um, and then I went up to Revival Drum Shop, and that was that was my dream. I've wanted to do a clinic there forever. I've wanted to get to know Jose, and we literally just clicked. The second he saw me in his parking lot taking pictures of his front sign, he ran <laughs> out and bear hugged me, and then we just never stopped talking the whole time. So it was an amazing time, and I was able to get out of Revival without buying anything. Which well, I was really stoked Well, I mean, about. you're lucky you already, you'd already gotten something, because I'm sure you would have I, left with something else. He had one there. He had one there that I was like, oh, that's the snare I would have bought if I didn't find one two days ago. So, um, yeah, it was really, really cool stuff. So I, I had a, a great week of that. And then the studio got finished yesterday. The last construction person left yesterday after installing the last light and... Um, now we're all done here, so it should be good stuff. All right, campers. so no more yeah, complaints, man. no more slacking, dude. That's right, that's right. Now, what's, how was your week, man? I don't even remember. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> this message is brought to you by a green tea coming out of Mike Johnston's sinuses. <laughs> Hey, so, oh. so that's kind of what a neti pot feels oh. like. <laughs> I was going to say, I just neti potted myself with green tea. Gal, dag, nab, sake, poured over oh, rice. Oh, goodness. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. I'll wipe my nose. <laughs> I, I literally thought you were going to say, I don't even remember how my week was after all that garbage you just spilled. <laughs> Listen to you for 10 minutes. Uh, okay. Did you have a good week, though? Can you just tell me that? I literally don't remember. I feel like this past week is gone because, I mean, it was like the, the week of New Year's. Everything just is like, I have no idea what's happening yeah, right now. I'm with you, man. <laughs> I'm with you. I kind of felt like that on, on a little bit of my drive. I'm like, am I going to Oregon or am I coming back from Oregon? <laughs> no, I did the clinic. I'm going home. Okay. I-5 South. Got it. All oh, right. Well, let's goodness. talk some uh, education. Let's talk <laughs> about... Backbeats and odd time signatures. This is in reference to Joel Rothman's article in the February issue. And 
in this, he's really using three, four as the main example. And I love this because I have not a debate, but I definitely have a moment of every camp that I teach where we we do a little class called three, four or six, eight. And the backbeat is really what determines what we're feeling because the mathematics, the mathematics, the math works out the same six, eight and three, four. It's the same thing. So it's really that backbeat that determines it and the feel. Uh, And he he mentions in the article that in four four and six eight twelve eight uh, and you know we have standardized backbeats. It's two and four mm-hmm. divided in half. Yeah, and then in three four it really can go anywhere. One of my favorite three four songs, uh, "Dance into the Light" by Phil Collins. He puts snare on all three quarter notes. Cat cat three cat cat. Oh yeah, you don't even really quarter notes the whole thing. Yeah, right. And then there's. Cinematic orchestra songs that put it on. It's like really slow. Three, one, ticka 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 two, ticka 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 three, one, ticka 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 three, and it's way on that three, and it feels like it takes forever to get through such a short time signature. Do you have a standard place? Are you a two in three, or are you a three in three backbeat person? I've never thought about it. I mean, I kind of tend to avoid the the waltz feel of putting the backbeat on two and also two on and beat three. three. Yeah. Although there's that Mars Volta track. I think it's the first song off their first record where it's just crushing with that feel. I, I mean, it's yeah. badass, but I very I think it, rarely do that. I think that, that, to me, is a tempo thing. Once I get to boom, get, get, boom, get, get, then I'm out, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, but yeah, if it's don't, it's get, it's get, don't, don't, get, it's get, then I wouldn't mind it at all. But once we're mm. at, mm, cat, cat, mm. what do I do? Let's see. <laughs> Everybody at home, I needs probably drumming right now. Two more often, but it, it entirely depends on the bass line and where the chords are. Right, changes. the yeah. song is entirely. what's determining yeah. that thing. I totally agree, and that's what's such a weird thing is that in four four, really we don't move the backbeat that much. I mean, look at what happened when. You know, Clyde and Jabo moved the backbeat. Yeah, it was like revolutionary. Hey, yeah, and white people all over the world fell down. <laughs> They're like, I don't know what to do here, and so that we don't really mess with the backbeat. Uh, maybe a little surf music. We put in an extra backbeat. Boom, cat, cat, do cat, cat, cat. But there's not a lot of songs go do cat, do do cat, do cat. Although that's dope, and I'm going to record that's my next YouTube video. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not really. I mean, kind of like the Bo Diddley beat or the Mercy beat. Right. They're using syncopation, but yeah, I think you're right. right. It's, it's always as a departure point from the expected backbeat on two and four. Yeah, but it's I. You know what's weird is in the eights, like in seven, eight, nine, eight. I generally play four, four, and I'm either subtracting or adding eighth notes. In 3-4, it really is wide open. The backbeat is the most wide open thing. I don't mm-hmm. mind putting the backbeat on one. Cat, dum, 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 cat, dum, 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 cat. That wouldn't bother me at all. So it's it's a weird thing in 3-4. That's why I really love that Joel picked 3-4 to base this article on. It's actually um, my favorite time signature. I love playing really? in 3 because, because it's so open. You can imply different fields. You can shift into the 6-8, and it just sounds yeah. like you're playing a delayed backbeat. I do it all the time. A lot of times, if I'm playing a groove that has a three feel, when I play fills, it'll be in the six feel because it just oh, it nice. automatically superimposes a different language, a different you know repertoire. Mm-hmm. I and love you three, could four. even in a musical situation, you could have 
the bridge of a three four song be in six eight and you guys don't have to change anything tempo wise or yeah, it's exactly. just a feel it just kind of can go into this halftime feel yeah um yeah, it. and in his article, I mean, he starts off really basic with the eighth note vibes, um, putting it on three. I think he's got one and – or I'm sorry, putting it on two, one and two and three. And yeah, one, two, two and then three and, and then two and three. And then he starts exactly. breaking it up, which that's for me where the fun becomes. When you make the first backbeat on the and the one and the second backbeat on three, that's kind of like a displaced six eight. <laughs> you know, it's one and two and three and one and two. Yeah, that's hot, man. Yeah, super uh, and, fun. And then uh, he starts bringing in the sixteenth notes, and you get that really cool stuff. Um, yeah, I think three four is definitely something that people generally need a musical representation for it, so they can kind of go, okay. That's three four, and then this thing that's six eight, and you almost have to hear it that way in the beginning for a while. Um, and I think it's you know something that we grow up with learning it really early on, and then we just totally take it for granted that everyone can hear the difference between three four and six eight. Um, but how do you? And so how do you yeah. teach it? Well, so I teach it as it's the space between the backbeat. Um, so you teach it as a drum so, set thing first, not a pad thing? Correct, yeah. Okay. I mean, well, I, I would teach time signatures first, you know, um, as a pad thing um, if, I, if I was going to. But, uh, yeah, for the most part, if I'm teaching 6-8 in a drum camp, then we're probably doing it on the drum set. And I'm, I'm also trying to really just show them right away, like, okay, you're familiar with this. You just don't know what it is, but you're totally familiar with this. You know, you know what this is and you know how to play it. So, you know um, what I like to do if I'm playing in six, eight, I like to play, you know, superimpose three, four, keeping the subdivisions the same. You're just now playing the backbeats, but right. Turn it actually into six, four. Oh, so yeah. It feels like you go into 4-4 four, four because the backbeats aren't, you know, they stay s- straight. You don't have to double the backbeat. Yeah, you don't have to do anything. Yeah, yeah. That's always a weird thing, too. Like, so 6-4 for the drummers out there, you would never know it was happening because you wouldn't know that anything started over unless somebody hit a crash cymbal. It's mm-hmm. when music does it, you're kind of thinking like, yeah, this is 4-4. Four, four. What just happened? Why'd they start over? <laughs> yeah. But why is my head still working? I'm still bobbing my head and everything's fine. Six four can be weird, um, yeah. And I love when bands do like the songs in four four, but maybe the the f- uh, eighth bar of a phrase is in six four. So you get just a what I call a two for nothing, and they just add in. Oh yeah, right. One bar of six. So I have um, some song suggestions for you guys out there, just so you can hear the difference. Um, so for three four, check out "Dance Into the Light" by Phil Collins. Check out "Man with the Movie Camera" by the Cinematic Orchestra. And uh, check out for a really cool one. Check out "I Saw God" by Victor Wooten. There's some good metric modulation in there. It's Dorico Watson on drums. For six eight, uh, if you guys are rock guys, check out "The Kill" by Thirty Seconds to Mars. Obviously, "Lights" by Journey is a great one. And check out if you want a really simple one to follow. Check out "Misunderstanding" by Genesis. That gives you like the glad doom 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 scat. I mean the the straight six that we all think of. Mm. Uh, "Lights" by Journey does that as well. So uh, you had to pick a journey song, <laughs> dude. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> they, I'm not even a fan. They were just good at what they did. It's and it, and I just I I tried to pick songs that uh, 
you know, some people in my camps would go like, oh, I've heard that. It's like, yeah, that's six. So um, this is actually a, something I wanted to ask you. When you pick songs to recommend for people to, you know, listen to, study, play along with, mm-hmm. do you focus on the recording quality just as much as the music that's being played? Oh, man, that's a good question. Uh, probably without knowing it because I'm a recording quality snob. Because <laughs> um, all of those were like pristine recordings. Modern. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah, I would say it, pick a Muddy, Water, you know, Muddy Waters record, but that's going to be so gnarly. You're not going to hear the, the subdivisions exactly. very clearly, you know. I'm a teacher, man. I've sat in these rooms. <laughs> I'm telling you. Like I – there's nothing that, <laughs> that drives me nuts more than when I see online educator guy – teach something where I'm like, you've never taught a drum lesson in your life. I can tell you've never sat in a room with a nine-year-old trying to break that stuff down. <laughs> I know it because you would never teach it that way if you'd actually seen a human's eyes glaze over when you drop the heat on that explanation. So, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, I need it to be, I mean, lights, the drums are so upfront in the mix. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I mean. Easy hear to the hear. Hell of it. I mean, I tend to uh, like, I mean, my favorite Zeppelin record to listen to is actually their last record because it's recorded so cleanly. That that was my favorite uh, record to listen to when I was really studying right. Led Zeppelin. Right, yeah, yeah. Because the yeah, earlier no, stuff I, I, was just grittier. It was just had some distortion. I couldn't hear all the ghost notes and all the stuff you want to yeah. hear when you're listening to a drummer. Totally. No, I agree. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's also the reason why I still enjoy going to see jazz shows and stuff, uh, especially if they're living legends. I, when you get to be... 10 feet away from a professional drummer or just a professional musician, you know? I mean, gosh, going and seeing Branford play, it's like, I kind of want to know, do you breathe? I didn't hear any on the recording. (laughs) And then like, it's like, you have to take some air in at some point, man. Uh, That's so true, yeah. When you're there and you can hear like everything, you can, you can, I mean, on that microphone, sometimes you can hear them like make contact with the reed when it first hits their mouth. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I think that there's no... There's no replacing that. So yeah, I am a little bit of a recording snob. Well, I would just I would not was not criticizing. I was just curious if it it helps when you're teaching something if you can actually hear all the notes. You know, (laughs) yeah. Well, just say that sentence again, and then the answer is yes. Of course it does. (laughs) But if I mean for me, it's like six eight. It's got to be Red House by Jimi Hendrix or something like that. You know. Yeah. No, I mean that's you. You got to find something. I mean, I'm looking for the most clear example of. Let's listen to this three four song and then let's listen to this six eight song let's hear how massively different they are and we start there and then we blur the lines the other thing that i make my students do i'll put a song in six eight i'll put lights on by journey and then i make them play a three four beat over it and i'm like do you see how you keep landing flawlessly on the one but everything feels horrible oh yeah that's because you're you're mathematically right but you're so wrong (laughs) Which is that's, and, uh, that's the stuff that I love to mess with when I'm just improvising. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm sure your band loves it. <laughs> like, oh man! Uh, hey, actually, we, know you're we doing do this new uh, like Instagram thing where you're trying things out. Can you not try it out in our band? That'd be great. When we awesome. we do, um, I do fire with with one of the trios, and we always transition into manic depression. Oh, cool! It man. always goes right into a three four thing just by three, changing four? the subdivision. Yeah. Yeah, and those are the songs that when they're played right, you know, uh, you don't know. I, I think when an odd time signature is played right, you don't know that it's an odd time signature. Right. Um, yeah. I was just teaching on this clinic tour how I'm trying really hard with Man on the Moon to never hit you over the head with the fact that we're in seven or in nine or in five. It's not like, see how hard we made this? And then it's like, well, didn't we just ruin the whole point of music? <laughs> yeah. 
it's well, become I mean, now yeah. it's become a different thing. It's become it's street ball. Thing. It's become a you yeah. know a sport. And and I think there is a place for it. You and I wouldn't know half the stuff we know if people weren't pushing that hard. Um, yeah. So I guess I would say it's not wrong. It's that I'm a fan of the Sting style of it, which is make a song or the, even the Dave Matthews side. Make a song. If it happens to be odd, it happens to be on. But make the song for the song's sake. Yeah. Um, I, I would never want to come to band practice and go like, hey, Dean, Q, let's write something in 13 tonight. It just seems like I wouldn't mind that as a practice technique. Yeah, like, right. hey, let's improvise in 13 for 10 minutes and then we'll get tonight started. That would be fine. But I, I don't want to um, do the whole like. I bet we could play something harder than Periphery. It's like, what? What are we, what are we, to, what are we going to meet them in the, in the streets? Yeah, never and the answer, by well. the way, is no, you can't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you yeah, it's, I guess it's different, different whatever kind of appeals to your aesthetic. I don't like, I do like to listen to, you know, advanced players play in a phrasing that I really have no idea what the hell they're doing. But oh, I don't but necessarily want to listen to a song that's just obviously complicated. That's the difference for me. I'd rather hear right. someone play in 4-4 and just mangle the phrasing to the point where I'm like, what yeah. the hell's going on? Versus here's this ridiculous tune that if you don't play it the same way every single time, no one's going to be able to finish it because it's so freaking complicated. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm 100% <laughs> with you. So we're going to talk All about right. odd times. Oh, yeah. Like, how What's would that? you put a backbeat in 5-8 versus 5-4? How about 5-8, I would say my favorite is probably doing the Vinny thing where I'm playing 6-8 minus a note. So, so you do one, a group two, of three and four, a group five, of two. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, one, yeah. two, three, one, two. Yeah, I like that um, because if I go 4-4-1, four, four, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. It feels like it's just too short for me. The phrase just ends right when I got started. Mm. Um, so I'd say for me, if I had to do a fallback, and let's just say for the sake of this argument, music is not a part of it because obviously we've already admitted that music would shape what I would play and what you would play. Yeah. Um, but if somebody <laughs> just said, give me a cool little groove in five, I'd probably do the six, eight minus an eighth note. What about you? Probably that. Now that, that when you sang it, I'm like, yeah, it just sounds like the if you do two, three, it's just front heavy. Everything is up in the front of right. the measure. Whereas yeah. it's, I think it's better to let it breathe in, in the front half. And then so you play a Agreed. three, two. But that's probably what I would do naturally. Five, four. I don't know what I would probably. I do two, four, and sometimes five. So one, two, three, four, five, one. You two, add an extra backbeat. Three, four. Yeah. Or. Or the five is the improvisation. Boom. Can't. Boom. Can't. Ta -ta boom. Can't. Boom. Uh, okay. Can't. Ta -ta boom. You know. Oh, I think I was just singing in four. Yeah. <laughs> three, four, five. And a one, two, three, four. That's why it felt so good. Isn't that like, the case, man? It's like, dude, nine eight's not hard. It's like, oh, it's because you're playing in four, four. Oh, my bad. Uh, but yeah, I'd use five for the improvisation. Oh, good. How was your week, Mike? <laughs> Not busy at all, man. I'm clear-headed, ready to go. Bro, at uh, the clinic at Revival, I literally called out at least four people that I haven't seen in years. But I was like, oh, wow, look, Tom's here. And he's like, Derek. I'm like, oh, oh no. Sorry, man. Next one. I'm like, but I know that guy's name because he's a Mike's Lessons family member. What is up? And I, I called him Sean. And he goes, Colton. And I was like, wow. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah I was off. <laughs> And I, it's like, dude, I know Colton. He just has the same last name as my buddy Sean. And so I was like, ah. Then, here, check this one out. Because do you know uh, 
uh, Alan, uh, I can never say his last name, but he always makes fun of us online. Alec Asexian, Asenkian. Ah, you would totally know him. He he always kind of takes the uh, takes the piss out of us uh, to use okay. a European phrase. So, anyways, he's sitting on stage because they ran out of chairs. I look over. I'm like, I'm like, dude, what's up? And I, what did I call him? I called him Daniel. I'm like, what's up, Daniel? He goes, Alan. And I'm like, dang it. And he goes. We went to high school together. Oh, I was like, oh, my man. God. I'm having a rough day. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay. I don't uh, even try with names. It's not even – Well, I just no, don't I'm with guess. you. I don't try unless I'm positive. <laughs> On all of these, I was like, well, they're going to be stoked. I know their name. Or I don't. Yeah, so that's how my week was. Oh, man, I did something awesome after you – know, I met someone at PASIC I was like, oh, cool. I remember you. We're friends on Facebook, whatever. And then I got a message right. from somebody <laughs> – and I was like, yeah, man, it was great to see you at PASIC. It was definitely not the same dude. Oh, no. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I wish I could have gone. You're like, <laughs> I do too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's talk education, which we just did. Let's talk about an artist. <laughs> I swear I'm not high or drunk. I'm good. I've had my tea. Is I'm that, just a that little paint, tired. that paint fresh in there? You've been, you've been <laughs> off in some fumes. <laughs> oh. Goodness gracious. A little varnish on my wood. Uh, okay. <laughs> Let's talk about Sonny Emery. I'm actually more disturbed that I literally don't know what I did this week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this podcast has derailed into just our issues, which is kind of what it always oh, is. I, I hope at least it makes people out there go, I hope that somebody's in the car right now going, see, babe, see, I'm not the only one. Mike and Mike are kind of stupid, too. Ugh. I had I had somebody come up to me, uh, revival <clears throat> husband and wife couple, and she's like, "I'm a classical guitarist, but I love the podcast." And I was like, "Really?" And uh, she's like, "Yeah, I listen to everything, and and I think us um, not being extremely intelligent is probably what she likes the most." <laughs> it's like two she's like, Man. Yeah, I I think we make people feel pretty brilliant because they're like, dude, these guys have their own little podcast. I'm way smarter than that. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Sunny Emery. So you saw Sunny in clinic? <clears throat> yeah. So Sunny. If anyone's not familiar with him, he's a legendary R&B pop drummer who I remember seeing with Earth, Wind & Fire back in the right. early 90s, yeah. mid-90s. For a long time, he was in Earth, Wind & Fire. I had forgotten that he actually played on the, on the Steely Dan, a couple of Steely Dan tracks. Maybe did a tour with him. Um, did some shows with Bette Midler. But anyway, I saw him. I had no idea who he was. I just knew him as a drummer because I'd seen him in ads and Modern Drummer. And this was like right. 1994, 95 or something. And he was a the featured drum set clinician at one of the PAS uh, Day of Percussions in Maryland or something. Okay. Uh, so he was like the first – I'd seen Dennis Chambers. He was like the first kind of superhero drummer I'd ever seen live. But he has his own – he has a certain thing. Like he's like a steamroller kind of approach. Sonny was the okay. first guy that I saw that had like amazing technique and his touch was – had so much flow. That was mm. like what I got out of that. I was like, man, this dude is – He's just dancing on the drum set, but he's still hitting and has like a huge, you know, his pocket is super fat and mm -hmm. his vocabulary. I mean, he was, he was ripping around the drums. He was using huge, like marching type sticks. It was insane. But his, really? but his touch on the kit was just effortless. Like I think, yeah, man, I think of guys that are out there now, like Tony Royster, guys who can just, their, their touch is just effortless. Sony to me is like the guy who kind of created that in my world. I've never seen anybody play like that before. Yeah, I, I you know when you watch him play, you kind of feel like 
his drum <clears throat> heads must be made out of something that ours aren't. It's like, are you using mesh heads? Why are your drums like trampolines? Like, yeah, yeah. Your stick is coming up, but you have nothing to do with it, and yep. you're just controlling it. Um, that's something I've always been jealous of. It's just that touch where it seems like the cymbals and the heads are are made out of just flubber. And everything's yeah. just bouncing up towards them. And they're pulling the sound out of the drum. And, yeah, Sonny definitely yeah. has that for sure. So how was the clinic? Did he teach? Yeah, or it was great. I mean, he, um, from what I recall, it was a long time ago, he, he was relating his experience studying rudimental drumming and how that is, you know, essentially created his technique, his chops and, and his touch. Like he he, relied, oh. he sat down with a pad and had his marching sticks and showed all of his rudimental exercises oh, and then cool. just played them on the kit. So it all kind of tied all this stuff. Like for me, Dennis was like this. I'll never be like that. That guy's got, you know, his he's such a powerhouse and right. overwhelming with his with his virtuosity. Sony had Sony had a little bit more of like a, a taste, uh, you know. Not that Dennis yeah. plays distastefully, but it was just more more sensitive, more tasteful. Maybe, more, yeah, and maybe it was a little bit more uh, tangible and relative to you at the time. Yeah, like, and I could see the rudiments that he was doing. With Dennis, it was just like single strokes, you know, like, whole, like, right. God, he's playing single strokes. But with Sonny, right. it was like, wow, he's playing paradiddle diddles, and I can do that. I just can't do it like that. You know, it was right. very relatable. Yeah. It was really cool. It That's was a great clinic. Yeah, so that just stuck in my mind as, like, the first guy that I saw that had that touch that I've been chasing ever since. Like how to just get a That's beautiful cool, sound, and still like flow on the kit, like you're, you know, like dancing, dancing on the kit. Yeah, I, I love also the the style um, of article you guys did with him, where it's kind of like, here are topics, give us one paragraph answers on this. Um, so yeah. he's talking about the advantage of formal study, and he said formal study is paramount for any drummer who's looking to be versatile enough to sustain a career. I love that quote. Um, unless you happen to be lucky enough to be in a band that's already successful. But being a sideman in today's industry, you're going to have to go into a lot of different areas comfortably. As far as feel, you're just trying to listen and learn from the players that feel good to you and hone in on uh, what that thing is. So he's kind of saying in his formal study, that's a huge part of what makes him him. But at the same time, listening to records and trying to find out what's making the person you're listening to special and not thinking about the rudiments behind it, but just thinking like, what is that thing that yeah. gives them the gadness, the vininess, the yeah. you know whatever? Um, so it's kind of like what we've always talked about on here. If there was one way to do it, everyone would just do it. Unfortunately, it's a recipe yeah. of influences and a recipe of approaches that creates a fantastic musician. Yeah, he's he's you're you kind of hit on. I think he is in that gad world where he always sounds like Sony Emery. But he always plays the music appropriately, and I think that's the ultimate. Mm. You know, it's like he's not superimposing his thing over top of the gig. It's right. let me play the music the way that it should be played, but with the way that I sound, and that's that would be. Yeah. I mean, there's not many guys I think that that have achieved that status where you're like, I can he's tell also, that's that guy, but he's not. Yeah. But they didn't hire him to be that guy. You know, it's like there's no, a totally. record featuring Sonny Emery. Is no, it's just Sonny Emery has a sound, and he's playing with Bette Midler mm -hmm. today, or earth wind and fire one day yeah it's, it's awesome so guys check out sonny emery you can find a ton of videos on youtube of him uh and you can also check out he's got a new album out with his group and i had it in front of me and then i moved it so um but uh you had it up right for a while love is the new greatest little, is the new one there yep. you go yep, there you go check it out all right now let's fast forward to my newest 
um, obsession, which is snare drums. So the buyer, 15-inch. Uh, so you guys, uh, you reviewed <clears throat> some of the shallower ones in the past, the four and the five and a half. Yes. Uh, so these, we've got super deep here, six and a half and seven and a half, and these are 15-inch steel snare drums, right? Correct. Yeah. Have you ever played a 15-inch snare drum? Aside Not from in my like life. Marching nope. drums. No. It's 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 only an inch wider, but it really it's really significant. Keep it clean, Dawson. You're a fan, though, right? I mean, you're a fan of 15-inch snare drums. I am, and I love that. Uh, actually, a question someone just asked me this morning. I've got to respond to. Like, when I tune a snare drum, do I change the the notes that I tune the top and bottom head to, depending on the size of the drum? Like, if it's a 13, mm. do I go for a higher note, or if it's a 15, do I go for a lower note? I don't. Which I tune them exactly the same. If I'm just testing out a drum, you know, kind of a general tuning, it's always the same pitch, top and bottom. Therefore, there's different levels of tension in the head. So a 15-inch drum tuned to what I would think of medium has more response, but it's going to sound right. bigger and, and fatter because the head is a little bit tighter. Whereas a 13-inch drum is going to be a little bit looser, so it's going to have a different kind of a, like a, I don't know what you call You're going to have to work for it. A thicker sound. Yeah, so it's, have to work for it a little bit more. So I feel like a 15 gives you you can tune it to where you can you can play comfortably, but it's just going to sound you know bigger, more massive, which is yeah. cool. I mean, you just have to get used to having that extra shell size. For me, luckily, my legs are long; it doesn't really get in the way. But if I was a smaller person, yeah. it might not totally. be perfect. But I love them. Um, these, uh, like the other ones, they have a 1.5 millimeter steel shell with like a textured. Uh, I don't know if it's powder coating or something. There's something kind of mm-hmm. a textured surface. Uh, let's see. The seven and a half by fifteen came with two lugs, and the six and a half by fifteen came with uh, buyer's like box vintage style lugs. Super cool. And these have like it looks like they have the DW style maglev throwoffs. Yep. Which those are nice. Yeah. They're nice. Oh, they're gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, well, before we talk about them too much more, let's give them a listen.
Yeah, so we'll talk more about what what I've learned that shell depth actually does to us to a snare drum when we when we review the um, sugar percussion stuff coming up. Because yeah. they sent me, you know, two inch deep up to I think twelve inch deep drums, and that was when I learned like, whoa, shell depth really does not do what I thought it did necessarily. Really? Okay, uh, I'm excited for that. But in this case, it kind of plays out as well. Like, a, I think once you get past a normal depth, like a five to a six and a half, mm-hmm. the deeper it goes doesn't give you the same uh, reaction as as if you went from a five to a six and a half. Like when if I say okay. a five to a six and a half, what do you think of the sound as being uh, bigger, louder? Yeah, and, I, and and deeper. I can get deeper with it. Yeah, I found that it actually becomes a drier sound once you go beyond that. Okay, which is interesting. Wow. So that seven and a half for me was perfect in that kind of medium tuning because I didn't have to muffle it, and it can kind of just be explosive without a ton of ring. The the seven and a half in the medium tuning that was like okay. That's yeah. That's session drum. That's where it wants to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's pretty. And interesting. I, I'm honestly quite shocked by the sales price on these five thirty five for the six and a half and five seventy five for this for the seven and a half. Yeah. Just knowing that these are, you know, I'm assuming um, that he makes these by or he's still the one in control of making these, right? Yeah. No. It's as far as I know, it's just it's just Jim Jim Buyer who makes them all i don't know awesome. i mean i think he sends them out to get them treated for the black coating or whatever but sure of course everything yeah. is going through his I'm just workshop saying, the fact that he's got a hand in this and those prices are where they are that's pretty amazing and i, yeah. I we've talked about it before but he clearly you know makes drums that look classy enough but he's so focused on sound that i could see these being like you know session drummer best yeah. friends i'm I, seeing them show up on a lot of of especially Nashville sessions. I'm seeing them on, in people's photos. So, yeah, so we got the four and the five and a half. So it was the four that I reviewed a while ago was interesting because it didn't have so, a lot of tone, but it still had that big, wide sound. And, I, right. and it's, 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 it's really cool to sit down and compare the drums of different depth and, and challenge your, right. your, what you expect it to do. And you realize, eh, there's a sweet spot where what you think is going to do, it will do. But once you go smaller or bigger, it's... I found that wow. it was actually very different, which is yeah, which yeah. Neat. It's, it's tough for your eyes to handle that. Well, you know what I mean. The same thing with bass drums, right? Everyone for a while was like, "Oh, I'm getting a 22 by 20." I'm like, "That yeah. thing is going to sound like what you think an 18 with a pillow in it sounds like." <laughs> and then, and then all of a sudden, people started showing up with 20 by 14s, and they're like, "It's like an 808." I'm like, "Well, yeah, oh, you yeah. move the resonant head closer to the." To the beater, you can actually resonate the head. It makes sense. I have a twelve um, by twenty six that sounds enormous. It's a converted marching drum. I bet. I mean, oh, it, I bet. It's it's really fast to respond, but it has so much low end. If that was like a yeah. twenty by twenty six, I wouldn't be able to get anything out of it. You just you just be no. like a smack of the beater. That's smack, all you would right? hear. You know, and uh, with that, with the new Ludwig snare I just got, one thing I noticed right away was okay. Four, because I, I I kind of went from fourteen by six and a halfs back when I was touring and stuff doing the rock thing, and then five and a half. Uh, I think maybe it was the Manukache Yamaha drum that brought oh, me yeah. into five and a halfs, and I kind of yeah. I just stayed there forever. And then when I became a Gretsch artist, I moved to five. So I've been getting shallower and shallower. Then I got this Ludwig four, and I realized, oh, I've actually hit a ceiling now. This drum, as amazing as it is, 
it has a volume cap on it, and mm-hmm. it also has a thickness cap. It doesn't actually – it's not as thick as my fives. Yeah, um, yeah. It's very snappy, very responsive, but we are now one inch too shallow for me for this to be my main all-the-time snare. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially if you're like – if you start going in and really hitting it, it's just going to bottom out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I mean it, it does exactly what it was meant to do in the 1920s. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm trying to play it. A hundred years later, and <laughs> with microphones that didn't exist. I mean, it's, yeah, every technology yeah. guitar amps that didn't exist, right? <laughs> but I think really what the the biggest part of it is is the depth. It's if it was that same drum a half an inch deeper, it's called a Ludwig Black Beauty right now, you know, mm-hmm. and I can go get one. Um, and yeah, you'd be you'd be set. So, but yeah, I think these drums sound fantastic. I also think that what Jim has done is pretty amazing because they don't sound like steel drums. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, they have just enough for that kind of high. I think that the coating kind of tames that brightness that you would expect from a steel shell. Just enough, but they still have it. So, like, if these these samples were unmuffled except for the super low, and you can hear there's some tone that yeah. you have to it's pure you though. have to tune it or or muffle it out <laughs> unless you really want to you know just let it go crazy. But yeah, it, I, I mean, it is a pure tone that that the overtone at the end. It's pretty pure, but you're right. It's there for sure. Yeah, um, but yeah, they were something that you wouldn't get in brass. They record great. Like the the six and a half for me is like a perfect low studio sound. Like I don't nice. have to force. Like I have to force some drums to go super low. This one just does it. Man, cool, awesome. We'll check out Beyer. Um, that's B E I E R. Check out their snare drums. Uh, Jim Beyer is a a person who just seems to be obsessed with making fantastic sounding snare drums, and I absolutely love it. All right, you ready to get into some Q and A? Think so. If I have them, let's see. <laughs> Think so. Perfect game. All right. This is is from David. He says, "No matter what I do, I can't get comfortable with the left foot on the hi hat. If I play heel up, I lose balance on the throne, and I can't play quiet enough, and I don't have enough precision." If I play heel down, it starts to ache eventually. My spring is on the lightest possible setting, so I don't have to press that hard, but I still don't know what else to do. Huh. Lightest possible setting? That thing would be flopping all over the place. Yeah, I would think it you're... you're that hit me right in the shin. I would... Well, hmm. Yeah, light means the clutch is moving as slower. As loose as possible. Right. Well, yeah, if he's got his spring on the lightest possible setting, it's not going to spring back fast. It'll yes, it's so just kind of like not, yes, I would think that's less precise. I agree. So I, I totally would, agree. He might want to actually tighten that thing. And, and Yeah, I would say, you know, I mean, all of my pedals are, if uh, if it's 0 to 100, to 100, all of my pedals are about 60 to 70. Um, mm. They're not tight. They're not loose. They just are. They're, I'm, they're honestly how DW ships them out of the factory. So... Uh, yeah, because I rarely ever adjust my pedal. I feel like it's like ah, feels like a pedal. Um, but yeah, um, did he uh, in that? Did he mention seat height? I don't remember. No, not at all. I would definitely mess with your seat height. That's going to control how much of your hip flexor in, is involved, how much of your core is involved. I would also record yourself, or at least get a mirror and see what your posture is like. Um, one of the things that I always do to know if my seat height is correct is. In heel up position, I play a samba with my feet, and then I put a stick right on my chest, pointing outwards, and I hold it with my fingertip. And as I'm playing that samba, doom, chick to doom, chick to doom. If the stick wavers at all, then I know something's wrong with my 
my posture and with my seat height, mm. I should be able to play a two-pedal ostinato and not have the, my upper body move one ounce. I mean, the, so that also, I would think your core stability is important as well. You've got to have a pretty strong Absolutely. core. Not saying you have to be yeah. a gym rat, but if, if you're no, back, I mean, there's can't nothing wrong. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with getting in a you know a few sets of planks and a couple crunches in the morning and um, some lower back exercises just to be a healthy human being, and that all translates to to you know being comfortable on the instrument for sure. I'm trying to figure it out. He says he's got it on the spring on the lightest tension, but when he plays heel down, his his left foot starts to ache. So that can't be the result of the stand. That means there's something else. You're you're leaning into it, or you're just pushing it way way too hard. I don't. Oh, know. he's talking about his hi hat stand. Yeah, I swear yeah. I'm not drinking, bro. <laughs> I, this whole time I thought he was talking about his bass drum pedal. Okay, <laughs> hi hat. Can we erase that last five minutes as I'm dropping full-on knowledge bombs on the wrong thing? Goodness gracious, Johnston. (laughs) Take a nap, you fool. Okay. Now light tension makes a little more sense. I'm like, dude, did you wonder what I was talking about when I said the beater be hitting me in the shit? Yeah, that's why I had to stop and be like, wait a minute. If it's the lightest tension... <laughs> the clutch isn't yeah, going then I to just go. I just completely <laughs> ran right over you. I was like, "Stop, stop talking! I got this." <laughs> oh my goodness! Okay, now Whoa. it's making some sense. You okay. put in your advice. I'm done. So we're going to start over here. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> He's got this is David. He has an Iron Cobra hi hat stand that no matter what he do, he cannot get his left foot comfortable. Um, oh I think goodness. everything you said, seat height is it has to be part of it. But I think yes, there's something else going on. I think if your hi hat stand is super loose and you don't have control, then it's too loose. You need to tighten it because the spring is going to yeah. give you that precision and control. I do remember, yeah. um, oh gosh, I don't remember who told me this, but he was talking about adjusting the spring tension on your hi hat and the clutch gap, like how far apart to put the cymbals. Right. Sure. He says you should just be able to rest your left foot on the pedal comfortably with no uh, no force whatsoever, and it should bring the pedal down to where it would be closed. Like whatever okay. you need to do to adjust the spring tension to get it to just kind of follow your foot and stop before it bottoms out. Yeah. I mean, I think when you're thinking about it, you just have to think where is the pain coming from? Is it coming from you Think about lifting your foot off the ground in a heel down position. That's a lot of effort. Now, when your spring tension is tight, it opens it for you. Right. Like you just yeah. barely relax your foot and it just springs up. You know, we've we've talked in the past about some of the Japanese hardware companies uh, like Tama, Pearl, and Yamaha, how their their springs always go fucking and just yeah. shoot straight up. Right. Um, and then DW is way just kind of like, hey, I'll get there when I get there. <laughs> right. And and then we we both prefer something kind of in the middle of those two. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you have to figure out is the pain coming from you lifting your foot or is the pain coming from you putting your foot down? So, um, uh, yeah, that probably is, that's the best way to think of it. Yeah. So if it's if you're struggling to keep the hi-hats closed, it's too tight. If you're struggling to get precision, it's too loose. Dog, give me six or seven minutes and I'll, I'll get, I'll answer the question right. I just don't know what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> All right. Uh, should um. we take another one? <laughs> should we throw in the towel? Uh. All right. So this is a question about drum charts uh, from Philip. 
Philip or it might be Philippi. He's got an extra E, a P and an E at the end. I'm not sure if it's Philip or Philippi. Uh, says, could you talk about drum charts in more detail, preferably in big band style? Um, I would be interested in your how you approach them in terms of interpreting fills and sections that demand comping. Um, and what kind of details do you prefer on a chart? Um, and what is your criteria for a good written chart? Very interesting. I can tell you this. Almost none of it is drum related to me. Oh, yeah? I like just, what makes I'm, a good well, I'm chart? Gonna handle, yeah, I'm going to oh, I'm gonna handle the drums. I need to know what the heck the song's doing. That's what I need on my chart. Oh, yeah, like, right. I need to know the roadmap. Um, and so that's what's really important to me. Um, I like things like, uh, let's say the composer is obviously not a drummer. I like things like chaotic fill. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I know what you want. You want some bombastic drumming. Cool, I can do that. Um, I don't mind interpreting what the composer wanted. I, I generally don't need that first bar of the generic swing pattern at the top. <laughs> yeah. You can write the word swing. I got it. I don't need your <laughs> ding, jang, da ding, jang, da ding, and, oh, yeah. and then continue. Um, but I, I definitely also really enjoy when a fill is written out because it's not a fill. It's not improvised. It's actually composed as part of the song. Mm-hmm. So I don't mind like a flap of do gat 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 and hit it with the band. Um, yeah. Rather than just the accents points. I, I don't mind that. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, I, I'm looking more for what is the band doing. You don't really need to tell me too much about the drums. I'll kind of figure that out on my own. What about you, bud? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, for me, my pet peeve is, is when an arranger makes a sloppy chart and doesn't consider the fact that you have to count a lot of measures like there be instead oh of doing gosh. like groups of eight it'll be like a group of seven and a group of nine on a line and mm-hmm. there's a figure somewhere in the middle of that line you're like what where is it isn't it the ends of the phrase right. and so anything that yeah. you know I'll, if they're not there i'll go through and mark like four above the fourth bar eight above the eighth bar so i just so yeah, i don't have to I think about too. it i just know all right i've got eight bars of time and then there's this figure it's not on the seventh bar it's on the, the eighth bar right. or something so that's a pet peeve. Uh, I also really appreciate when they notate what's a full ensemble rhythm versus what's just something that someone's playing that might cue me into where we are. Uh, right. So I think if it's a full band hit that I know I'm going to have to you know, orchestrate those accents, I want that to be clearly notated in the staff. You know that Give I me some ENS yeah, ensemble. So I know that's happening. If it's just something that the saxophones are playing, then. If it's written in the staff, I'm going to hit it like it's an accent, and everyone's going to be like, "Whoa, dude, chill out." <laughs> Easy <laughs> rim shot. <laughs> should just be doing above, there? written above the staff, and just like a hint, like maybe play it, yeah. maybe don't play it. Right. So just those little arrangement things um, help me. But I think it's again it, the the clearest kind of map of the song is all that I care about. I don't like tons of like first and second and third endings and DSs and DCs. Right. And yeah, it's like just give me a top to bottom chart that i know you know and i know that this is the a section this is the b section when i'm yeah. writing my own stuff i just try to same thing i just try to only notate stuff that i have to play exactly with someone or or mm-hmm. or replicating something off the record otherwise yeah. i try to keep this, all that minute detail off the chart it's just confusing i don't want to be Agreed. stuck to the chart i'd rather be able to reference it and say okay i've got eight bars of a hi-hat groove all right i'm good <laughs> yeah know? that's kind of what i was saying it's like i'll handle the drums i don't need you to write me a drum chart i can't even imagine if some composer was also a drummer and they wrote out like the ghost notes and i'd be like oh dear god like <laughs> you know i remember when i got like what is hip um we were doing some tower of power back in high school 
and it was a drum chart. And I'm like, do you want me to play this? Oh, this is everything this is, Yeah, this is 11 pages of future sounds. Yeah. This, this is going to take me forever. Like, how about just give me one bar at the top? Tell me, you know, syncopated funk groove. And then let me hit the hits. So, awesome. Let's do one more. All right. This is similar. Uh, this comes from Todd. How is it? Imp- how important is it to transcribe a song note for note, uh, which can sometimes include some really difficult uh, fills? He says, I was told this really helps for ear training as well as sight reading. Uh, That's, to me, there's two different things. Are you trying to learn a song to cover it in your band? I would say it's not important in the least. Are you trying to transcribe something because you're trying to get in the head of the drummer that played it? It's massively important. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, if, if, I mean, if you were trying to figure out what makes Chad Smith Chad Smith, I'd want you to transcribe his parts. Um, but if you're just trying to play a Chili Peppers tune in your band, then we would go back to the charting that we just talked about. Uh, bro, <laughs> that that break was brought to you by God. <laughs> Why did you hang up on me? Like I thought we were cool, and then all of a sudden you were gone. What happened? I thought I thought a bomb just dropped on the building. The power, the whole, entire building just went out for like half a second, and there was a weird, loud explosion sound. Hopefully, no one's hurt, <laughs> but all's good. Wow, <laughs> we're back on. What? My goodness. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, uh, well, we I'm were, happy to see you again. We were really talking about some important stuff here. What were we talking about? We we're talking about uh, you know, if I'm trying to if I'm trying to find out what makes Chad Smith Chad Smith, then I'm going to uh, transcribe in a few songs. And and I'm down to the ghost notes, down to everything. If I'm trying to cover a Chili Peppers tune for my cover band, I'm going to write a roadmap like we just talked about in the last question. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's what I was going to say. It depends. If you're hiring me for a gig and it's one time and we're going to play like 10 cover songs that I'm never going to really try to play again, I'm just going to get the essentials and be done with it. Right. But if I'm looking to get some of Chad Smith's stuff into my vocabulary, I'm going to learn it note for note. And I, right. I tend to go more super extreme with the note for note stuff, even if I'm learning songs for a gig, because I, I want to be able to kind of reference all the stuff that's on the original recording you tune your drums yeah, you do the I, whole I, thing I i've go seen you go hog wild i mean it's for me it's just it's fun it's educational but it's also it allows me to just feel like i've got the music internalized to the point where like i'm not thinking anymore that's the goal right. for me so i go yeah. like super detailed super nerdy so then it just becomes part of my long-term memory and it's just there so i can just if i'm playing Chili Pepper song is probably not a good example because there's not a lot of intricacy per se. But sure. if we're playing one of their songs and I'm just going to play Chad Smith type fills, they're just going to come out because I've studied right. his part so much. Rather than I'm not going to go into like some Neil Peart roundhouse fills on a Chili Pepper right. song. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's I think that's perfect. Awesome. Uh, well, guys, keep sending in your questions to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Did I get that right? Yeah. Oof, MD man. info at moderndrummer.com. That's correct. Yeah, yes. I got it. I got it. <laughs> All good. Uh, okay, so let's get to our picks of the week. Uh, now that your building's still there, do you have a pick of the week? <laughs> Why don't you go first? Because I can't remember what the heck it was called. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, I'm going to right now once I do that. Um, <laughs> I would say that uh, my pick of the week would be vintage bass drum pedals. Um I had no idea 
They, they are some of the best, for a drummer, they're some of the best decoration you could ever imagine. Plus, you get to see the history of the evolution of bass drum pedals. I had no idea they were so affordable. Did you, you can buy find some? Um, I just did, yeah. I ordered uh, five of them today, and I got really good ones. I got like a classic Speed King, like Leedy Speed King. Mm-hmm. Uh, or no, not Leedy, uh, WFL, you know, stamped Speed King. I got um, a Ludwig Ghost pedal. Um, I got an old Slingerland and what else? Uh, I've got it right here. Uh, vintage WFL Speed King, a vintage 60s Slingerland, uh, a Tama strap drive that has like the spring on top of the pedal. Oh, like up yeah. By the beater. I remember that. Um, and then I got a, a Gretsch floating, act, floating action vintage bass drum pedal. I got, so I got these four and before shipping, it was $220 for all four. Oh, nice. Dude, they're 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 like thirty nine dollars a piece. These <laughs> things are awesome, and I what are you going to do with always want to put them in the lobby. I mean, yeah, that, well, they're actually going to be in our office. Okay. So I wanted, but I but I also wanted to find pedals where it was like, okay, we went from what we had, and then when we got to this pedal, this was a huge achievement, and you can see this this thing right here. This is on the DW nine thousand. You know, this thing yeah. right here. This is on Thomas Iron Cobra. I, I love stuff like that. Um, and when I was at Bentley's Drum Shop, Dana was walking me through the history of bass drum pedals, um, and it was like it was like watching the JoJo Mayer video again, except for in in fast forward and getting to touch it. And I was like, yeah, wait a minute. How, how is this the thirties? Like this, <laughs> they just released this at Nam last year. Do you remember and that like, first yeah, DW double pedal that had like a second bracket to the side and the, the, yeah. the left pedal had a huge like bend in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I totally remember that. Yeah. Um, yeah, those felt great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's what I'm saying is there's like so much history in this thing that we just kind of take for granted. And then I said to Dana, I said, I said, oh, that's so cool. How much is something like that? And I'm thinking he's going to say seven hundred dollars because it's it's a it's a literally a piece of history. And he's like, oh, I think you can get these on reverb for about thirty nine dollars. I'm going to get a bunch of them then. I have like and, three uh, Speed Kings are just in pieces. Because every time really? I, I buy a, a vintage kit, obviously it comes with the original pedal. Right. I've got the original sure. Slingerland pedal that came out '65, but the the guy who owned the kit had broken the spring, so he just put like a piece of like shoestring or something. It was just so <laughs> strange. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So that's my pick: uh, vintage bass drum pedals. Literally, go to eBay or to Reverb.com and just type in vintage bass drum pedal and. Uh, there won't be a lot left on reverb because I think I bought them all. Uh, but <laughs> hey, I've got some speed I'm sure things if anyone wants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and clearly they don't work. But just <laughs> let Mike know. I mean, that was the other thing is I did pay a little bit more because I wanted ones that maybe we could attach to a bass drum pedal if people wanted to just feel what it was like to be a yeah. drummer in 1955. So pretty cool stuff. So that's my pick. What about you, bud? I have um, a loop pedal that I think if anyone is into getting you know looping. You know, multi pads or running microphones to a mixer and then creating your own loops. The Ditto X4, uh, I think that's the model. Let me just Google it, make sure that's what it is. The Ditto X4, yeah. So that allows you to do, you know, basic looping where you just click the button to start it and click it again and it just automatically starts looping. But then there's some cool uh-huh. functional effects in there. Like you can have, like, if you hit another button, it'll be like a tape stop. So it kind of like shuts down the loop. And then, oh, no way. And then when you let go of it, it goes back to playing it in real time. So cool little stuff. You can do, I think you can do 
four loops so you can do two on per button so you can really okay. kind of layer some crazy stuff you can store some stuff in there that you if you always want to recall it later it can just be stored that's in cool. there so that's kind of like my my loop pedal of choice it's a yeah. 250 pedal there's a there's a there's a single um storage version that's about a hundred bucks it's kind of crazy but i like this one just because it gives me i like those effects to be able to pause it and reverse Man, it. i love i love the fade effect to be able to fade a loop out yeah that's for like a guitar cool. player yeah yeah well, it's, it's pretty. I know what I'm getting Dean for his birthday. <laughs> he doesn't already have one. I think every guitarist is probably, of course, the ditto. Everyone knows the ditto, but it's really cool to run drum machines through it. I run awesome. my uh, my wave drum through it a lot. Really so cool. That's it. So when you're doing those Instagram videos, are is this off to your left, or do you do it in post? Like no, well, that's the thing. The ditto for me is my is part of my mobile setup. So if I'm going to do a clinic or if i'm going somewhere else okay. i take that but i have a rack mount old lexicon looper okay that's in that effects rack to my left with a foot pedal uh-huh. it's a really oh, okay. really crappy looper but it's wired into the rack and i don't feel like messing with it it works i gotcha so i do it, it all works. in real time I just, it works for you yeah i just play something on the pad and then hope because there is some latency with that pedal i hope that i get the loop timing accurate and then i right. just go with it there's no click track or anything and I, I love it. And I can't store it. So that stuff, once I do it and, and post it, it's like, ah, there. It's, it's gone. It's gone. Yeah. <laughs> that ain't coming back. But the awesome, ditto allows you to do more. So it's, it's a much I love it. I, I think I really am um, going to get this for Dean because we've got some songs that have to do with loops, and we've just had some timing issues with it with the oh, one nice. that's built into his multi-effects pedal. So, all right, everybody. Thanks again for listening. We uh, just absolutely love your support. It's amazing uh, when Mike and I get to go out on the road a little bit. Uh, and meet you guys in person. Just how many people come up and reference the podcast. It's really cool. So thank you guys so much for listening. Everyone have a great day. Brother Mike, I'll see you soon. That's right. Have a good one. Later. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.